0: (music) Thank you.
1: Sorry.
2: <laughs> no, I, I've had it off. I'm. Okay. God. Good evening and welcome to Knox Gosh. I could screw this up anymore. I would. Tonight's guest is. Barla Ventura. Barla Ventura is a scholar, poet, provocateur, and lover of all things odd, unusual, and truly freaky. She's the author of She Rose, the Book of the Bazaar wild women talk about love, and a host of other tomes related to the strange and bizarre. Her favorite holiday is Halloween and loves to talk about love. She lives in San Francisco, California, and we're welcoming her to the show. Welcome.
3: Welcome, Farla. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's actually an old bio. Yeah,
2: I realized that when I swiped it off Amazon. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I should have sent you the new one
1: <laughs> you can add right. to it right now bring us into, it. into
3: well i no longer live in san francisco i actually live in uh minnesota just outside of saint paul where it is very cold yes and um since that bio i've written um several books including the book Fairies, Pugas, and Changelings, which I don't think was on that, and the most recent one, Paranormal Parlor, which will come into play tonight.
2: Excellent. That, those were included in the other tomes.
3: <laughs> of course.
1: Uh, yeah, it was I lived in St. In Paul for years. Oh, you did? Yeah, I'm from that area.
3: So oh, was, I didn't know that. No, yes. and where do you live now?
1: I am in Washington State in the Gorge area. Oh, pretty. Which Very you can't pretty. get away from. I love it so much. The mountains out here, it feels like we're in Romania or Hungary.
3: Oh, it's gorgeous. I love that. I, I lived for a time in the Pacific Northwest when I um, kind of in my early 20s, and I loved it. It does
1: appeal to us uh, kind of spookier people.
3: <laughs> if you like, if you don't mind the like, you know, those days where it never actually gets above like median gray.
1: Yes, it,
0: It's most of the year,
3: then yeah, then you're then you can appreciate it, yeah.
1: Yeah, the I find the weather is very British Isles here. this seems like you know longer, longer periods of gray. Summers are, you know, we do get clear summers usually at least a month. So
3: yeah, well, living in San Francisco, I had friends that would not want friends that lived in Scotland, and they would always want to meet in like Southern California because they were like. They didn't want to come to San Francisco because the weather was too similar. <laughs> so
0: yeah, <we> <laughs> I some vitamin D. D. Yeah. Yep.
1: Wow, I'm so thrilled to have you on, Varla. I just think you're you're perfect for this, and um, just all the stuff you do and represent. It's you know, it's a great honor, not to be all fangirly on you, but I am a bit. So well,
3: thank you. That's very flattering. Let's
1: jump in. Give us, um, give us an idea about, so earliest memories, um, that you can, you can recall right now of stuff that affected you stuff, your world, pop culture, did you have a relationship with nature, just the early stuff?
3: Well, actually one of my earliest memories is a lucid dreaming memory. Oh, and I actually, um, I think this might be the conversation that sparked the invitation to this show, um, because that is kind of your your main topic. Um, Probably, I,
2: I have no recollection of that entire interview. So. Really? <laughs> really?
3: Well, it, I'm, partway into it, you chatted me and said, "Hey, uh, I have I do a show that's just about dreams because dreams came up." So must, I remember it.
2: You totally triggered me then.
3: <laughs> um so anyway it's true one of my earliest memories is um of course I didn't know at the time what it was but it's a lucid dreaming memory and um I was probably had to have been between three and four years old and I was having a recurring nightmare and I had this nightmare several nights in a row um and you know I'd wake up crying my mom would come in my room ask me what was wrong And finally, I kind of described this nightmare to her and told her this nightmare. And the nightmare was, you know, a four-year-old's nightmare. I was running through a field and I fell into a pit and um, I couldn't get out. And that was the nightmare. So my mom, in in, in her wisdom, said, okay, I want you. She didn't say there's no such thing as, you know, there's no meadow, there's no pit. It's all in your imagination. She said, okay, I want you to fall back asleep. I want you to go back to that meadow. I want you to run through that field. I want you to fall in that pit. And then I want you to um, see, at the time we had a Great Dane and I was four years old. So the Great Dane was like a horse. And she said, um, his name was Kind Sir. And she said, Kind Sir is going to drop a rope down to you and he is going to pull you out of that pit. And then you can continue running through the field. And I did exactly that. And that is exactly what happened. And I never had the nightmare again. And that I have never forgotten. And, you know, I mean, we remember snippets. I think some of us do remember snippets from when we're very young, you know, flashes of color or images. But that is something that I specifically remember because I'd had that nightmare. And because I was instantly... um, empowered to overcome it in a way that made perfect sense. And I think that that actually gave me, unlocked something in me and the power to be able to have those lucid dreams naturally, which I think that, you know, people study and um, practice and try to get to the place where they can have lucid dreams. And I, because of that experience, I believe it's, primarily because of that experience and my mom's handling of it, that I um, developed a natural ability to lucid dream and still lucid dream to this day. So
1: There's so many things that are fascinating about this. How old do you think you
3: were? I was between three and four because I remember that it was before we had, um, we lived in this particular town um, outside of the Bay Area and we moved um, up until the California foothills when I was, uh, uh, six and a half, six. Um, and so I know that it was prior to that. And then I just kind of know from, um, the, where my bed was in the memory because the room got moved around when I was a little bit older. So I think I was between probably three and four.
1: Wow. This is what's really great about this is it's so early with this high lucidity and then the reoccurrence aspect. But what the cherry here is that your mother's great advice here and the fact that your great Dane, kind sir, from your waking (laughs) life is part of it.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, it made sense, right? And I think that there were many times that I would wake up and I would have, is there something at the foot of my bed? Or I would have had a, probably a paranormal experience and I was never made to feel like I was making things up or I was, um, I was not dismissed. Those fears were not dismissed or those queries or questioning was never dismissed. And so I think because of that, it became a, um, such a natural part of my life. So it was absolutely an an early influence on, you know, who I kind of grew up to be. I wouldn't exactly say I'm that grown up,
1: but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or any of us. That, this is a Let's great gift from your mother, though. That, that's great parenting, seriously.
3: Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's, um, I continue, I have a son myself now, and I, we talk about uh, what did you dream and he does not have um recurring nightmares uh but we do talk about you know dreams and what you know. you remember what you dreamed? because you know often i ask somebody what they what they dreamed and they don't remember and i don't probably remember every single detail from every single night but it's rare that i don't have any memory of what i dreamed the night before Mm-hmm. So it's always kind of interesting. It's just you know it's one of those table topics as uh, over breakfast, you know what, what did you dream last night?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. it's always been that way for me in my life it, it of course, this is we're doing this show I've loved it my entire life, so it's a, it's definitely a table topic, and it it I find it brings together interesting people as well, don't you, that oh, are yeah. willing to go there and talk about their dreams openly
3: yeah and I think I mean everybody dreams they just yes. they dream differently or they have different relationships with their dreams, but it's you know it's a biological function of our brain to dream right so it's one shared maybe. experience
2: maybe, maybe maybe not
3: it, it might I not
1: be
2: so many theories well
1: <laughs> okay, okay, so back here in the early in the early days, so I guess you you Uh, you're from san francisco the bay area Mm yeah and um i i think that's my first um and so that i i live there so i know that there's a connection for me there's always a great connection to nature especially the water and and then when you get out in the hills yeah were you did you have a good connection with nature as a young person
3: i definitely did i had um I mean, to this day, I still can smell the wild fennel and the eucalyptus in the San Bruno Mountains. And um, there were these particular caterpillars that always appear on those fennel plants. Um, I had a, I would say I had a a healthy relationship with nature, we had a garden and things like that. But when I was, as I had mentioned before, when I was six and a half, we moved to a completely rural community. Completely off-grid, totally no running water, no electricity, still is off-grid. My parents oh, wow. still live there. It's still off-grid. They've resisted um and for mm-hmm. <laughs> many years.
1: Good on them.
3: And um, uh, so that was quite a transformation because this is an area where, you know, to me... It was incredible. I, I didn't think, oh, we're leaving behind. You know, I was just like so enchanted by the forest and where we lived. It was this kind of rough piece of property, but it had a hundred-year-old apple orchard on it, oh. and some <laughs> of the apple trees had grown over, um, sort of grown over each other, and so there was basically like applewood forts that you could climb in. And I spent many, many hours just imagining things and walking the stream. My mother had um, two geese that used to walk with her and follow her around the property. And uh, she would always say, oh, that's the fairy stream. And then, you know, she taught us about fairy rings, which are the Mm -hmm. the mushroom rings. And that's where I, you know, also learned some of the warnings, like not to fall asleep on the fairy mound, not to Mm -hmm. eat these things. And I also kind of started developing more of a relationship with plants and herbs and herbal medicine and things like that. We weren't studying it, but it was a natural part of our environment. So you would eat the manzanita berries and you knew that these berries were safe and this plant you picked and it helped your cough. And um, when the next door neighbor was pregnant, we gathered raspberry leaf tea for her and gave it to her as a gift. So These were little things that we did that kind of influenced, uh, you know, uh, it's like learning a language when you're young, you just naturally know it as you grow up. And, um, I think that that is true for, you know, the language of dreams, but also just sort of that relationship with, um, magic and medicine for me, those things were always very connected and the natural world and medicine.
1: Yes. Oh, I agree. It's all, this is such an idyllic uh, bringing, upbringing, and at least for people like us, uh, it's a gift. It's a gift, especially the off-grid thing. That's amazing. On that note, were you raised, it sounds very witchy, were you raised witchy? Was there, was there a religion around you?
3: Um, I would, yeah, I would say I was raised pretty damn witchy. (laughs) Um,
2: Cackling. I'm going to leave you (laughs) now.
3: My, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my father is is a Southern man. He's from Texas. And so he's definitely more of a, um, you know, just sort of conservative atheist, really. Not a conservative Mm -hmm. in terms of um, political affiliation, but, probably, you know, a little more emotionally conservative compared to, you know, any given witch you would meet. (laughs) And my mom, she is born and raised in the, uh, in San Francisco. Um, uh, So she's uh, absolutely, well, you know, one time I remember being about probably 10 years old or something and asked her if she was a hippie. And she said, uh, she said, I had three kids in the 60s. So, I was a secretary. I didn't have time to be a hippie. Yeah. <laughs> I would have loved yeah. to have been a hippie. That's what she told me. I would have loved to have been a hippie, but there just wasn't time. Yeah. yeah that's funny. I know but people definitely that open. say that. Yeah, yes. Definitely open. And, you know, um, she still is very interested in the psychic arts. Um, my baby, you know, we all. We all each of her children had baby books where you put your little first little lock of hair, and in, in the beginning of each one of ours is our horoscope. Oh, so she did our God. charts, <laughs> and is it, this is, these are things that are pretty normal. You know, grew up re- reading tarot cards, um, a lot of Dion Fortune, and yes, um, a little bit of Alistair Crowley on the shelves. Um, very Sibyl actually was yes. a huge influence on my mom, and someone that I totally, when I read her work completely gravitated toward and understood where she was coming from and just the way that she positioned things and her idea of witchcraft and what that was
1: so it was awesome
3: just a very sort of like instinctive natural um old ways that um you know don't have to be I don't want to say ritualized but they don't have to be I, I guess formalized Um, formalized yeah it doesn't need to be formal it needs to be a little more instinctual and so I think that's definitely you know because my mom had has had and has friends that she would perform rituals with and such but she never was really part of like a you know a formal coven or I mean we always had witchy things around little witch figurines and you know it's like we liked that stuff but Mm -hmm. it wasn't that she walked around saying, you know, I'm a witch and look out. Um, I do remember several times her getting very angry at like my sister's boyfriends, my older sister's boyfriends. And, um, you know, I remember one time them getting in a fight and my older sister saying that my mom had put like a curse on her husband.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know,
1: know.
3: <laughs> the power of fear
1: compels, it really does. That it's this is just wonderful. I love hearing all this. I'm so not surprised to hear any of this, though. It's it's great. It, okay, so in in that early phase back there, was there anything? So in the poppy culture world, I'm assuming this might be before you went off grid. Like cartoons. Uh,
3: oh, yeah. So actually, we well we had a TV when we lived in there in the city and then we had a tv again several years later but there was definitely a period of time where we did not have and that's we, we did a lot of reading we read all the grimm's fairy tales and things like that <laughs> yes <clears throat> and to me i mean i just i love that time grimm's fairy tales by kerosene lamp you know if you haven't read yes. grimm's fairy tales by kerosene lamp with nothing between you and the woods but a thin um plywood wall then you really haven't lived <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> totally pop um, culture wise i would say well i will tell you something um my i saw the shining when i was probably about 4 years old it was the early days of hbo it was kind of had just become a thing where people could have hbo and there was the big box that went on top of your television and it had the <laughs> buttons that you pressed yeah. for the six different channels and one <laughs> of them was hbo and they had you know they would show movies and the shining was on and I don't think I watched it from beginning to end. It probably didn't wouldn't have held my attention, <clears throat> but I definitely you know remember some of the scenes, which of course later when I was um a teenager, I watched it you know ten more times. but the funniest thing that I remember is that there was it was i don't think we were like propped up in front of the television watching it. I think it was on, and my parents were watching it, and my sister and I were probably coloring or you know something um but it was on and i remember you know staring at the screen and you know seeing that whole scene where the elevators pop open yes. and the blood comes rushing in and um and being totally freaked out by the twins and my sister and i are actually very you know close in age and i have several sisters as you've as you've garnered from my um referencing um but i have one sister that's extremely close we're less less than a year apart And so we always kind of look like twins. And so there were these like creepy twin (laughs) girls in the movie, right? Um, But the scene that was the most influential, and I don't know if I've ever even told my mom this, but it's the scene where he goes in, Jack goes into the room, and there's a beautiful woman in the bathtub. Yes, And he goes up to her and, you know, she's naked and he starts to make out with her. And and my mom covered my eyes during that scene. Not during the buckets of blood. She covered my (laughs) eyes during that scene, but she didn't do a good job, right? She did that, like, that covering the eyes where you can totally see through them. And it was just enough for me, you know, just, I could see through them just in time to see this woman transform into this totally freaky, cackling old lady whose skin is kind of rotting off in the bathtub. And that was kind of traumatizing. It wasn't the naked lady and even like the blood and stuff, but that whole, and the fact that my eyes were covered, which made me, of course, instantly more interested. Focused, yeah.
0: yeah. I was like, what was this?
3: <laughs> um, so, but I'm trying to think of cartoons. What kind of cartoons did we watch? I mean, <clears throat> certainly there was. Oh, I remember watching. Oh gosh, I feel like I just watched like Captain Kangaroo and Sesame Street and oh, stuff yeah. like that when yes. I was a when I was a kid. And then we had our like period of no television time. Um, and and I just want to clarify, it wasn't like my parents. We're like, all right, we're gonna, you know, go live off the land. And they were kind of wanted to get away from the man. That was definitely yes. part of it. Yeah. But they were a little bit more just like, um, I mean, there, there's just a little more redneck to it than hippie, I think, <laughs> in many ways. So, um, there was some rough in it for sure. You know, there were years when we didn't have water or indoor plumbing and, um, but then when we got back on TV, I think like I was probably, you know, already probably too old to be watching Saturday morning cartoons, but I was a huge Pee Wee Herman fan. I oh, love Pee Wee. <laughs> and, um, you know, by that time I had a younger brother, so I kind of, you know, Smurfs, we watched a lot of Smurf. Yes. And anything that was kind of like, you know, little, little world and fairy-ish like that, like I, I, I. I think there was like a spin-off of um gummy bears was you know like it was based on the candy and that would come on after <laughs> smurfs and stuff like that that um yeah definitely I I would say I was I'm heavily influenced by smurfs at a certain point in my life
1: well and they're fascinating when <laughs> like I just went back and revisited how fascinating they are they're very fey in the wood and all that
3: Oh love- yeah, and Gargamel the alchemist who's-
1: Yes you know, go guy
3: with the cat trying to turn yes. it into gold and
1: yeah <laughs> there's so much juiciness there how many siblings do you have
3: i have five siblings oh a pinnacle there you go and we're all fairly spread out in um uh in age and i have three siblings who are you know maybe I think the oldest is 15 years older than me. And then 14, 13, then there's an age gap. And then there's um, my sister and I, and then our younger brother. So it's um, two boys on either end. The boys are about 20 years apart almost. And then four girls in the middle. So lots of sisters, which is totally awesome. And very witchy too. It's super fun. And brothers. <laughs> brothers are also totally And my brothers are both very psychic. They're very different from each other. Um um, one is much more um, sort of conventionally religious and the other is far more of an outlaw. But they both have a lot of psychic intuition. In fact, I would say that my youngest brother is probably the most psychic of any of us. He, Since he was a kid, he would predict, you know, what um, you know, what color car was going to, co- we used to do that with him. Like, what, what's the next car? I mean, also, right, country bumpkin kids is like, what color do you think the next car is going to be? So, the, and you know, he would always get it right. Is and, he still like this? Oh, yeah. Still, you can think things, and, um, you know, there's just, there's a lot of things you don't have to say, and yet he knows. And it's, yeah, um, yeah it's great.
1: Do you That's know what crazy sign
3: crazy. he is? Yeah, he's a Gemini. Oh, okay.
1: That Mercury. Both my
3: brothers are Geminis. So they have a lot of, like, strong, um, yeah, there's just a lot of psychic intuition there. Yeah, that Miss
1: Mercury. Mm-hmm. What about you?
3: What sign are you? I'm a sign of the witch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which one's that? Because when I think, I think black moon Lilith, and particularly in the third house.
3: Um, yeah, my birthday's in October.
1: Oh, okay, I got you. So you're so that's Scorpio. Libra or Scorpio? Yeah, I'm right on the cusp. You're on the
3: cusp? Kind of. I'm not surprised. You're not a
2: Scorpio? That...
3: No, I, I am, but okay. I'm on the cusp of uh of Libra.
2: You scream Scorpio yeah. to me, so. <laughs> oh, I'm
3: very sensing that. Well Ooh, that's going to be I'm our band name, over. the Screaming Scorpios. Oh, my God, I love that.
1: <laughs> I love that.
3: This, I hear stinging,
1: too, the stinging Scorpios. <laughs> This is great. Okay, and so in this early period when you're having, so you come in, you're having lucid dreams and all that. What did, in that period, if it's changed, what did the the dream landscape uh, look like and feel like for you as a very young person?
3: Um, You know, I would say... I had very few nightmares when I think back. I think I had a lot of, um, uh, the nightmares that I had were often associated with illness. And so I still occasionally have those, um, you know, it's not a specific event. It's sort of like a feeling and, and an impression in a dream. For example, I had, um, I had, uh, chicken pox, but I actually got it twice.
2: Oh, so did I. Twice? I did.
3: You did? Yes. Okay. I got it twice. And my That's sister strange. also got it twice. And the first, the second time it was far more severe. And I got high fever and I got scarring from it. And I was out of school for like, you know, I think a month and a half. It was really it, and everybody said You can't get chicken pox twice. It was like, well, I did. <laughs> and I got the scars to prove it.
2: <laughs> the first one didn't take.
3: Yeah, the first one didn't take. <laughs> so I shouldn't, I mean, hopefully you can't get it a third time because, you know. But I, I remember having this nightmare that was associated probably with the high fever. And it was just sort of this metallic, rolling, sort of almost like a rolling wave, sort of this like pressure and this, this um, just really kind of, um, Almost the way you feel when you get an electric shock, but not the shock part. The like kind of feeling in your head after of just like that. I don't know, like a it's not quite an E B G B, but like a just a just like everything. Everything's been interrupted,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and so every once in a while, I will have that feeling again in a dream. Um, and then there were a couple times that I my nightmares were often associated with with electricity. And maybe I was just absorbing some of the horrors my dad saw because he worked for PG&E. And then he wanted to get out of the, he was, let's get off the grid. We don't want to be on that grid anymore. It's like, what did you see down in those tunnels? You know? <laughs> oh my, I want a whole show on that. Right?
2: <laughs> Wait a minute. That sounds
3: like a this... <laughs> Lovecraft story.
2: <laughs> so, I've heard people talking about um, PG&E.
3: The possibly
2: the fires were started by underground tunnels of PG&E where they're doing weird shit.
3: Oh, I have just heard that PGE is getting is um, getting sued because uh, faulty wiring triggered mm. this massive, you know, the campfire.
2: Allegedly faulty.
3: <clears throat> yeah, I mean, could be some kind of
2: paranormal you know, that's funny. thing.
3: I actually have been listening to this totally weird podcast called The Walk. And it's really cool. It's kind of like you are, it's like an interactive thing where you're walking around and basically this explosion happens in this train station, and then you get sucked into this like semi-post-apocalyptic scenario in Scotland, which is totally cool. Mm, And it makes you kind of, uh, I don't want to give it away because it kind of, the story unfolds, but you're, you're kind of getting directions the whole time. And it's not like a fitness thing where they're like, okay, now run for 30 seconds. Because I've done those actually, <laughs> like the zombie 5K apps and stuff. It's like, all right, nothing's going to work unless I'm like, think that something is actually, you know, chasing, something undead is chasing me. That's the kind of fitness I can get behind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get ahead of, I should say. Totally. Um, but anyway, I guess, so I I had a couple of nightmares that were, you know, sort of, um, electrocution and those were often set in the bay area around like electrical towers mm-hmm. um and it was usually you know something actually the one that's the most vivid was something that had happened to my sister like she fell into this electrocuted water and i saw her skeleton and we were little we were children
2: like in the so cartoon you kids kids saw it like, <laughs> like
3: how how old were you <laughs> Um, I probably first had that. It was probably after we moved, so I was probably six or seven when I first had that. But I will tell you to this day when I drive by those towers i I have a it makes me feel sick <laughs> I, oh and I think it's just the association with this dream that I had but apart from a few kind of key nightmares that came up, I would say my dreamscape was um largely you know in kind of Vast and infinite in that childlike fantasy way. Um, you know, there were uh, castles, there were houses I regularly visited, there were um, not a lot of people. I didn't have a lot of recurring, um, like, not a recurring cast of characters necessarily. That didn't really start happening until my grandparents passed away. And when my grandparents passed away, I started regularly dreaming about them and having conversations with them and visits with them. Um, and that has happened with other people that have passed away and, um, never, I think when I was younger, that didn't really happen because I didn't know too many people who had, who had died to converse with. How old were you
1: when your grandparents passed?
3: I was in my, um, I was in my twenties, my early twenties.
1: Okay. Yeah. We'll get into all that later, but that is the stuff I love, love, love. Um, Okay, so this earlier stage with these, it sounds like you have a lot of recurring dreams, by the way. Is this?
3: I do. I have, um, I, I guess I should just be clear that because I feel like there are people that have recurring dreams that are um, identical. And mm-hmm. so they are like recurring repeat dreams. Yeah. And apart from the one that I told you about, in which yes. I first learned a lucid dream, My recurring dreams, the things that are recurring are the places that I go. Yes. um, And the feelings of the dream and sort of the the backdrop and the landscape and sometimes the scenarios. But it's not a, I've never actually had the same dream twice since that time.
1: Yes. So that was only, that was the only time you had like facsimile type. yes
3: that I can that I can recall yeah that's the only time where like the exact same thing kept happening um so
1: did you so after kind sir saved you know you got through that (laughs) with kind sir I love that as a name by the way for especially a great Dane right he was very kind did you dream with him at all after that
3: I don't remember that him being in my dreams after that. Not, not, I mean, he may have been, but I don't remember that being uh, significant. Like he didn't stay in my dreams. Um, yeah. Not, not so much. I mean, he was around in in waking life, but I didn't yeah, yeah. continue to dream with him in it. So he wasn't, I don't think he was, um, I mean, I, I really think he was sent to protect me because that's what he, did in daily life you know
1: i've got stuff going on out here
3: <laughs> do you all hear it
1: we talk yeah. about kind sir and the the alarms gone. my wolves are going to start howling yeah. <laughs> they do they love but their, you're
2: not living it. until you hear the cat play the piano
1: yeah i have a cat <laughs> and i have wolves uh, so so all right let's move into so I have all this kind of marked, and we've got an idea of where you're coming from and all that. So let's jump forward into, say, the part where your 20s, when your grandparents pass and then you start having these types of dreams with the dead. Yeah. Is there uh a... So with the grand with the grandparents in particular was that kind of the was that the gateway into all of a sudden having these encounters with people you had known
3: i think it's it's mostly them i do occasionally see people that have passed away that i have known since um but it's few and far between um the but First, my uh, first my grandfather died, and then my grandmother died a few years later, and during that time, she actually had dementia, mm-hmm. and I spent a lot of time with her um, because, you know, now I was an adult, but at that point, you know, she still kind of, you know, she had known me mostly as a child. And so I spent a lot of time with her and and had some really interesting conversations with her um, in her um, demented state. And so I felt I I was very close to her, but I almost immediately started dreaming about my grandfather after he passed away. Um, That was a time for me that I think um, it, it was, you know, your 20s are always so there's a lot of black and white stuff happening. They're so mm-hmm. extreme and everything feels so extreme. And, um, I think around that same time, I also, uh, like witnessed my first birth, my, the birth of my nephew, mm. um, where, I mean, I had had, uh, other, um, I had three other nieces and nephews by then, but this was the first time I had been in a room with a baby being born. Even my younger brother, he, we weren't there cause we were, I guess not. A, back then, you couldn't siblings couldn't be in the labor. Children couldn't be in the labor and delivery room. I guess they probably still can't. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, so I think that I had had the, and then I was beside my, you know, at my grandmother's bedside when she passed away, and so there was the rhythmic cycle of birth, mm-hmm. and the heavy breathing, and the watching the clock, and the waiting, mm-hmm. and then there was the reverse, which was the um heavy rhythmic breathing and the watching the clock and the waiting. And in both cases you're holding a hand. And both cases you're beside the bed. And so I think during that time I I I got um I think that's when I started realizing that I knew how to lucid dream and that I knew knew like that's probably the period of time in which I started reading more books about dreaming. Um witchcraft the occult um apart from things that i had been exposed to as a child like actively seeking those things as an adult and over and over again i kept finding themes of things that i um i either disagreed with or i had already experienced or already had on hand um so i found that that's when i sort of started recognizing and rediscovering the the natural um instincts and abilities that you know i was gifted with via my mom the psychic abilities the um you know the ability to read tarot cards and um to know what to put into a a spell when you want a certain outcome and -hmm. things like that not that i don't think that obviously i think books are valuable and that you need i'm a big reference person i have a lot of a lot of reference books um, especially on plants and herbs and things like that. <clears throat> but I think that that's a time when I started recognizing that I could actually use these skills to help me figure out, you know, what I wanted to do with my life and what the next trajectory was and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, and I met this really interesting person who worked at a, um, the Psychic Eye, was the occult shop. I know this, it. Yeah, Mary. You know the Psychic Eye? Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's, it's. She's still there, right?
3: Well, the psychic guy in San Francisco closed down, but I think there she's was still, still one in. Um, there was still one in Las Vegas for a number of years. It was sort of like the first psychic franchise. I think there were two or three of them around the country. It wasn't like a huge franchise. But they did readings. You could go and you could buy all the stuff you needed. You could buy, you know, your penis candle and you could buy your, you know, yes. the <laughs> bags of sage and you could buy like, whatever, <laughs> you, whatever you needed. And um, it was great. And at that time, actually, in San Francisco, like imagine the landscape of San Francisco it was free dot com. So yes. there wasn't this crazy spike of, of rent and, and money. Nobody was using the Internet like a couple people had cell phones. I had a pager and a <laughs> landline, you know? <laughs> well, pagers
1: were monumental. You were all of a sudden connected.
3: I was like, okay, let me see if I can scrounge up, you know, do whatever a quarter to make the phone call because I got paged by somebody and <laughs> I'm going to call them and get the message or whatever. Uh, I remember going outside of like clubs and trying to like, here in a pay phone was like what's that message where am i oh, supposed to girl, go
1: you're giving me the memories
3: too <laughs> right so the psychic guy you could go in there and you could you know buy your ingredients and i became friends with this man named jack who was from new orleans and he had a lot of intrinsic psychic ability and he was very um you know, he was used to giving classes and lessons stuff like that and he said, I'll tell you one thing, if you really want to, you know, we were just talking about these kinds of things all the time. It was so nice to have somebody to converse with about this topic. And um, he said, if you really want to heighten, you know, if you feel like you're, you're on the precipice and you want to really heighten your psychic abilities, you've got to, you know, not turn on the television, don't answer the phone, don't read the newspaper. He's like, obviously you have to go to and from work. But if you really want to connect with your, um, instinct and your psychic abilities, then you need to cut, um, all of these outside influences off. And I, I have lost touch with him over the years, but it would have been so interesting to get his take on, you know, today's phase where Since we it's have, all, yeah, it's all it's, there. It's almost, you know, it's almost it's too much. in many yeah. ways. Yeah. yeah. So, um. Yeah, I forget what you even asked me about. Her. I have a, I have a, <laughs> I got down the slope, started memory I, lane.
1: Well, that's all right. And that's how we do. It. And I remember where we were going. I have a sidetrack note just because I lived in San Francisco for a few years in the 80s. And i been wondering if you remember uh, can't, Curios and Candles. Oh, um, Yes. That was one of my favorites. And then Uma's.
3: Oh my God. I was going to ask you if you ever went to Uma's on page. I loved Uma so Uma's tools and magic. Tools and magic. How to tie a witch's knot. Yes. I bought something there and she said, I'm going to show you how to tie a knot that will never come undone, but that you will, you will always be able to pull apart. And I was like, sounds good to me. And it's so I just call it the witch's knot. I love that that place. I I actually, when I I went and and traveled and I came back, I had been gone for about eight months and I came back to San Francisco. And I, the first place I went was to Uma's Tools and Magic. And it was, she had just put a note up on her door that said that, you know, after so many years we're closing and that was about 2000.
1: Yes. I had oh, heard okay. that. I actually yeah. lamented. I haven't been back to San Francisco. I, I
3: still that. lament that place. And I you would walk by it and it became like an architect firm or something. <laughs> and I would walk by it and I would be like, nope, that was Uma's Tools.
1: <laughs> it's always going to be that. Her oils were still to this day. Oh only.
3: yeah. She had great oils. Didn't she? Yes, they were the plant. Mm-hmm. She
1: only did those planetary ones, but they're her special blends. Yes, and and well,
3: she did. You know,
1: she mixed them and would make stuff, but she was always like, "Let's you just you, what do you want?"
3: Yes, and, and she would make them up for them up. you right there. said, yeah. you know, the only place, and I believe it is still there. <clears throat> this is just I've only been away about four years now, but the um is the sword and the, the sword and the rose. Oh you yes, that place. Yes, I, Hidden- I do have to walk through a hidden garden to get there and they still mix the oils and they have all your basic occult needs but it's a very those kinds of shops are um rare Rare. far between
1: yeah these are the pinnacle of occult shops when i try to describe these to people in today's world because you go into these other these occult shops now and they're they're so new agey there's they're just you don't have a
3: real these ones are dark the air is thick with the (laughs) smell of nag champa yes the there's somebody in the corner with a um meditation bowl and a old you know scarf spread over a table and they're reading cards quietly
1: real victorian furniture
3: revealing some deep secret of whatever querent (laughs) is there which you can hear every bit of yes and there's iron cauldrons that you have to not trip over and shiny candles and things hanging from the ceiling and it's always dark Yes, nice and
1: dark. So, and and that that's what uh, that's what I grew up on, and it's so disappointing for me now. Whenever I go in, I have that standard.
3: Yeah. Well, well, the sword in the rose still maintains that standard. And actually, I have been told that in the area where I grew up, there's a, a shop that opened called the Cult of Gemini, and it's in Ooh. Grass Valley, California. I like and, that name. And that is supposed to be very. Um, authentical very um it's supposed to be a a a real occult shop where you style yeah so the difference i guess is that there are still stores where you can buy things like magical items and get your tarot cards read and you can buy tarot cards and you can buy books but these were the places where you bought all the things to put together yourself into a spell this is where you bought yes. the four things you needed for the ritual this is absolutely where you bought your you know your cup and your cauldron and all those kinds of you know the, the bell book and candle stores
1: absolutely and uh, again that's another
3: uh, you know now, now I you have... want to open one up just want <laughs> to
1: do it because you know that you know the reference now since i i just think everywhere you go it would just Eaten up wherever one it, it would open up because it's lacking. It, they're lacking that, that feeling, that vibe. So, all right, let's get back to the, okay. So we were talking about the grandparents and so did you, your grandfather passed first? Did you have an awareness that he was passing before he passed, say maybe through the dream or even just your, Innate psychic ability or was did it come on you as more of a surprise?
3: I, I, I did not have a dream, but I did have a feeling. Um, and I was actually living in the Pacific Northwest at the time and he was in San Francisco or he was in California. And my cousin came to the door. Oh, my cousin well, was my, I had a cousin that lived uh, across the river and you know, she'd never come to my house before. I was like, well, what, I mean, you know, and I had, I, I woke up that day actually with this feeling that I was in a not great situation. Just, um, you know, I will spare you the details, but it was not a great environment. Um, there was a lot of, um, uh, just there were a lot of drugs around, uh, a lot of strange people that were, you know, kind of um, not trustworthy. You were you know, things were always going missing and, um, you know, creepy older dudes were always hanging around that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And so I had I woke up that day with this feeling of like, I I need to get out of here not like a panic but like a this is absolutely not an okay environment anymore and i need to make sure that i have everything i need to to be able to leave here in a day if my and i thought to myself what if something happens you know with my grandparents and Mm. so i managed to you know kind of get what i needed into a bag um And my cousin, and then my cousin came by that afternoon, and she was like, "What are you doing?" And I said, "Uh, "You know, I didn't say trying to get the hell out of here, but that's you (laughs) know essentially what I was doing." And she said, "Uh, "I brought you this hat," and I was like, "Well, that's a weird thing to say." And really, she was there to tell me that my grandfather passed away, but she was so heartbroken over it, she she couldn't tell me. And um, so, and I left that day. Uh, with the bag that I had packed so I don't know if that was psychic intuition or desperation or just divine timing um, yes you know I think if it was divine timing I probably would have gotten out of there a few weeks before but that it's hard to know of it all. yeah so I definitely thing. um but he did not come to me in a dream that night the the interesting thing to me is that um quite a bit of time. So I was one of the youngest of his grandchildren. So when I met him, he was an old man already. He was an old retired man, wonderful, wonderful man. And um, I was close with him in that we shared love. I mean, he he was wonderful. He was cuddly. He was kind and he adored us. But I wasn't close with him in a way that, you know, I had long conversations with when I was a kid. So I I kind of take it as a real gift that I still get to sort of converse with him, and I still get to see him once in a while and, you know, get some kind of, I guess, it's it's not, I don't know if it's so much guidance as it is just a comfort.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Although, He has appeared at significant times, as has my grandmother, as has my um, my brother-in-law. They have appeared at significant times, and my brother-in-law has come to me with specific messages. So, and that's only happened a couple times. Um, And there's
1: him. We'll get into that in a minute.
3: Yeah. So, with your with
1: your grandfather. After he passed, what was the time period between your grandfather going and your grandmother?
3: I think it was like four years, maybe.
1: So that that's pretty significant. When he first showed up in the dreamscape for you, do you recall that dream?
3: Yes, I don't recall all of it, and I don't recall you know it's it's like I don't remember really the beginning or the end. Um, But I do remember seeing him and, and this is kind of where the lucid dream thing comes in. Now, if I remember it correctly, I think we were in a church, which is the last place I saw him because I, you know, saw him at his funeral. Right. So I remember being in a church and him, I think he was he was standing there and he was trying to tell me something and he had his little, you know, like red cardigan on. And uh, one other detail about my grandparents that I didn't mention is that they um, were both deaf. My grandfather was a deaf mute and my grandmother was lost her hearing when she was 10. So she was deaf, extremely hard of hearing, but she could speak and read lips. So when they, you know, when they're communicating with me in dreams, it's not like they're telling me sentences. The, and and my grandfather in particular, because he was a deaf mute, he didn't speak a lot. So it's not like suddenly he came into my dream and he's t- talking.
0: Mm-hmm. He's
3: not talking, but he's talking. He's talking in sign, but he's mo- mostly it's like he's just communicating with me and telling me something. And I think in that first one, it was a very simple, it's, it's all right i'm all right and it was incredibly comforting and i the other thing that i always always have in the dreams with both my grandparents smell i can completely smell what they smelled like you know people have that significant smell yes and so i always can you know smell them and it's a great, you know, it's great. I wake up so happy when I have like a, I call them grampy dreams. Like if I have a grampy or a grandma dream, I'm just so happy because I, I I feel like I actually got to visit with them. That's how it feels. It doesn't feel like um, I'm tracking it and keeping, you know, I probably should keep better track of it, but it's not always that I'm getting a specific message. Like, you must turn back or you're doing, you know, that's a a warning or anything like that. It's, it's more of a, although I'm sure there are patterns to when they, uh, when they come and, and visit, but um, it's more of a, just a, it's like, it's like a, it's normal. It's like a normal, Hey, we're just hanging out kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. And it's for, you know, however long it happens. Most of the time, I walk into a place and they are there. So in that first dream, I walked into the church and my grandpa was there. Um, Frequently, I will walk into a house, my own house, a childhood home, Mm -hmm. a home that I frequently visit during dreams that's just this, you know, kind of house in the desert that I just end up at. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's all different locations and they'll be in that in that house. It's always in a house, actually. It's always, and uh, occasionally, I think my grandmother's been in a garden a couple times, but it's, it's always in a house and they're already there. And I know they're there usually before I see them and I'm kind of looking for them. It's like, uh-huh. oh, here's, they're in, you know, oh, she's, grandma's in that, you know, the dining room, something like that.
1: Do they appear as they did when they were older? Has their age changed at all?
3: They appear as they did when they were older, which is the time they appear to me and the way that I remember them the most. Yes. And, um, you know, my grandfather was, I guess, 68 years older than me. So, um, (laughs) he appears to me as a 70 to 75 year old, maybe an 80 year old man, recently, sometimes a bit younger.
1: It's it's still attached to how you knew him in waking life. Yes,
3: absolutely. It's attached to how I knew him in waking life and what I associate with him.
1: So, with your grandmother, when when you first experienced her, also this the same same question with your grandfather. Was there any precog to it, or was it after the the first? So, were you able to? Since that she was going, uh and this is, you know, it's an interesting question with older people because we kind of expect that it's not far, you know. It's not like a younger oh,
3: person. Yeah. Oh, you mean when she died? Yeah. I knew the exact second she died.
1: Oh, oh tell us that, please, if you will.
3: Well, I had been by her bedside and you know, she had uh repeatedly stopped you know, she, I mentioned that she had dementia and she had repeatedly stopped eating. Yeah. It was something that she could, it was one of the remaining things that she could control. And there had been great discussion among the siblings, the, the, her children, my, um, my aunt and my mom, especially over what to do. How many times are we going to hospitalize her and rehydrate her? How many times are we going to do this? and um to their credit you know they really took everything into account and i think very much set aside their own sorrows and their own um desire to have their mom with them for the rest of you know eternity yeah. and um let her go when she wanted to go and and so there was a bit of preparation that that we knew about so it was like okay um you know grandmother is she's, um, dehydrated again. We've given her some IV fluids, but we're not going to put her in the hospital. And I think my aunt had just said, you, you know, if you want to come now would be the time. And I did. And, um, you know, I sat with her and told her that I loved her and held her hand and sat beside her bed and listened to the cycle of her breathing. And, Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I, I could have stayed, but my uncle came and I just felt that it was such an intimate moment. I chose to leave and, and let her, you know, her three children, just, you know, her three living children just be there with her. I I just felt like that was the right thing to do. So driving home, I was, uh, I had, been home I guess uh the rest of the evening, and I believe it was the next morning and I had started a shift at the grocery store where I worked as a cashier and I suddenly stopped luckily, there was no one in my line. I stopped and I just burst into tears mm-hmm. and about I guess five minutes later, my shift manager came over and said, You know, Ph, take this." There's a phone call for you, and right. it was my sister who had also been at the house with me, calling to tell me that she had just gotten a phone call and my grandmother had passed away. And I said, "Did they tell you what time it was?" And when she told me the time, was the exact time that I Man, <laughs> Oh, I complete. I just knew it. I was probably closer with my grandmother, and I think the fact that I was so connected with her and I spent more time with her as an adult um so i think i was more aware of her presence and and um you know we knew it was coming
1: yes of course
3: but you know you don't know the exact moment except for that you do and i did and then that was and then you know i just i think that was a significant event as much as the you know early lucid dreaming because you know when things like that happen, you get those inklings all the time. Oh well, that's what I suspected. Or and you think about a friend and they call you, mm-hmm. and or you you know I would pull out. You know uh, I have a beautiful scarf that I do my tarot cards on, and I have two different uh, uh, scarves, and they one belongs to a friend who is living, and one belongs to a friend who has passed. And um, every time I pull that living one out which is not that frequently, I get, you know, I think, oh, I wonder how my friend's doing and she'll contact me in some way Mm -hmm. within a, you know, within a few hours of that typically. Um, and it's not somebody I talk to every day. So I think, you know, you get those kind of like little psychic hits, but when something like that happens, when you definitively know that something is happening at that moment, and then it's validated and explained, um, that can be a real turning point for you in, in terms of being able to trust your instincts and your own kind of cognition with that type of thing.
1: Which is a, a big deal for a lot of people. I, I, less so for people like us that kind of grew up with backgrounds is we, we actually have very similar backgrounds. Um, it's still something where These events that you align with, if you acknowledge them, you see how clear the communication is, how really utterly clear it is, the synchronicity of it.
3: Absolutely. And I think around that time, somebody gave me the secret language of signs. Yes. (laughs) And that book really spoke to me. It really was just so plainly, you know, the first half of the book is just talking about. Signs that we see in every day and signs that we sort of create ourselves that are indicating things that are going on in our lives or in our subconscious or maybe, you know, in um, that are connected to us somehow. And it can be a way to sort of guide us. And I, I'll never forget one of the examples she gave was the, that you, you know, if somebody is always saying, oh, it's a pain in my neck. Oh. Man, that guy is a pain in my neck, man. And, and there, it might actually be an indication that they are having neck problem. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of saying this phrase over and over that is, it's like a, it's a sign, it's a signal. Um, and so I started really, you know, trying to, to read those kind of signs with um, just things that were happening in my life, just trying to figure out, you know, this was before I had written any books. And I had always wanted to be a writer and had been writing for years, but had nothing published. And it was just, you know, one of the things that kind of got me to realize that I could actually do something that I'd always wanted to do if I just followed, you know, the breadcrumbs properly.
1: Absolutely. It's, uh, uh, you sum that up so well. Uh, With your grandmother, the first time you saw what was her first name? So you just call Victoria. her Victoria. So when you saw Victoria in the dream, the very first time, what was that like? Awesome. <laughs> I imagine
3: it was awesome, and it was totally conscious. It was totally like, but you're dead and you're here. This is so great and there was sort of this unspoken understanding that this was how i would see her from now on Mm -hmm. and there have been a few times where i have tried to invoke her in some way you know what would grandma do or what you know as i as i lay down that night i I think okay you know am I maybe tonight would be a good night to have a dream with my grandma in it it I I can lucid dream but I can't like pre-plan my dreams like that so that doesn't always work that doesn't always work out but she does come frequently and um the first time You know, it's one of those things that I feel like she just has always kind of been around. It just made me not miss her. It made me not miss that gap between when she was alive and when she wasn't, and then when she was dead, it was like, uh, but she's still here. She's exactly the same. She's in these dreams. And it was just a great comfort. And I think, again, it was just a house kind of situation where I went into a place and um, she was there. And she said something to me, something not really significant or poignant, something very like, oh, it's over there or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was so incredibly happy to see her that I almost embarrassed her, which is totally how she would have reacted in real life. Well, it was like, it's just a dream. I think she's, you know, it's kind of said to me like it's just a dream. It's <laughs> like, but you're here. This is amazing. <laughs> we can hang out. We can hang out whenever we want, but it, it's not really it's not really like that. I don't I don't really get to choose when I see her, I just get to know that I'm seeing her and experience it and then wake up with that um wonderful wash of uh, um her love and and that
1: comfort. I I I completely understand. I I live for those. Oh, they're the best. They are. Have it, do has it been it? So with your grant with Victoria and her husband, uh, has it, have you seen them together? Is it like he he's in the house or she'll be in the garden or?
3: Yeah, th- all all combination. Most yeah. often, it's just one or the other, but. Um... I've had all combinations. I've had, um, the two of them together. I've had them both their presence, both known in the dream, but one of them is in the other room and you have to Mm -hmm. walk into that room to see them. And one directs you to the other one. Um, I've had dreams where it's just, you know, just grandma or just grandpa. And then, um, you know, so sort of all, all of those combinations have happened.
1: I love this. This is the the death part, especially with Victoria. As you were talking about, just gave me the chills the, in a good way. These things that remind us the process. What you were saying earlier, which vibes with me so heavily, is how it's how similar birth and death are. The process of birthing and deathing, they're they're almost the same thing.
3: Yes, and they're often, you know, in the same places.
1: Yes. Yeah. So that that's something I've been to you know, rabbit hole with for a very long time. There's it's so connected. I wanted to. So there's a lot of other details I want to get into, but I want to jump into your brother-in-law stuff that we put on the shelf for a minute. Um, that I have a the question mark here. This seemed like it was going to be really significant.
3: Yes, well, my brother-in-law died very young. He died of a very rare heart condition. He was 48 years old. And before he died, I saw him in the hospital, and he when no one else was in the room I believe my sister had gone down the hall, he told me that um, he said yesterday, I saw this light shining down. And when mm-hmm. the light got closer, I realized that it was millions of tiny little beings, like little angels. And it was felt really good. But I said, I am not ready. And he said, please, you know, please look after your sister for me. And, you know, when people are that sick or you don't it was so rare no one really knew what was happening so it was sudden but also confusing and so you're not going you know most of the time you're not going to say hey i know you're dying tell me your dying wish or you don't know that you're never going to see that person alive again you don't know that when the last time you see them it's pretty rare i knew that with my grandmother but there's still this little party view where you're like oh yeah maybe Yeah, it is rare. Maybe. But he had told me that, and I, I, you know, I just listened, and I think, you know, he told me that because he knew that I was open to that sort of thing. And then um, I think he died the next day or, like, two days later. I don't remember exactly what, if it was, you know, it was one of those, he was just in the hospital over this short period of time. And not long after he died, he came to me in a dream, and I was actually out of town. I had just found out that I was pregnant. Oh, wow. And I was in Seattle um, oh. for an esoteric conference oh. in a hotel by myself, and uh, it was pouring rain, and I had this dream. And in this dream, he said a couple of different things, which I don't always do this, but I woke up and I wrote them down. And I wish that I had that. I don't know which notebook it's in. I probably have a hundred journals on my shelf with sprawled little notes. Yeah, yes. So I'll give you the the gist. But the gist was just that he had um, told me some information about, um, he he asked he asked after my sister. And he gave me a warning um, about somebody who is in our family, who, you know, it was my, uh, his daughter's husband. And he gave me a, you know, a warning about her. And he told me a couple of other things. Mm -hmm. And um, I, and he was, it was not like when I saw my grandparents. When I saw my grandparents, each time that I saw them, they, they maybe had something to say, maybe not a lot. There was no desperation to it. This was like, there was a certain element of desperation and that he was trying to convey a lot of information in a short period of time. It's like he knew we only had 10 minutes in this dream or two minutes in this dream. And he told me all this stuff. And then I woke up in this funky little hotel room by the space needle. And I grabbed my journal and I wrote down everything that I could remember because I knew that I would fall back asleep and wake up and I would have forgotten what he said and what the specific message was. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it, actually, you know, I don't want to get into like too much um, stuff about what what the warning was or anything, but some of it was very prophetic. And um,
2: what was the conference? It
3: was the Esoteric Book Conference. Okay. Well, the ABC. The, the last, so that's the modern, that one, yeah.
2: The most recent one, or
3: no? This okay. was um, the first one oh wow i believe it was either the first or the second one so it was this would have been in 2010 or 2000 yes yeah right in there do you remember
2: when they had that music exhibit in the space needle
3: i did not go into the space needle but it might have been at that same time um i didn't
2: no this was like 2003
3: oh i had a panic attack in
2: there it was pretty creepy
3: oh really yeah you have never been up in the space needle i wasn't up
2: in it i was on the ground floor Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was inside a giant shoe. It's a story for another day. A giant shoe? It was a giant okay. platform shoe. It was a...
3: Um, like a Jimi Hendrix not, exhibit or something? Not
2: Hendrix. It was... I uh, can't think of his name right now. Prince? No. no. An older guy. Oh, who
3: else wore platform uh, shoes?
2: <laughs> Eddie Murphy did the hot tub joke on him. Uh, hot tub. I'm
3: getting in a hot tub. Oh, right. Oh, James Brown! Not
2: James Brown. Thank you, James Brown. Yeah, it was James a James Brown, Brown exhibit, <laughs> and it was a giant oh. platform shoe, and you get inside, and it was like a little uh, video in the round, I guess, in the shoe.
3: Oh. And you had a pan like you had a claustrophobia type panic attack. I, I would get- probably have a panic attack if I was inside <laughs> a
2: giant <too>. shoe. <laughs> well, it's a long. There's I a longer story. That was like the culmination of all of them that I had had that week. Oh, no. Yeah, we were doing some sales pitch to Microsoft, and I had to go up to Redmond. It's a long story. It's not my show. I'll shut up.
1: <laughs> it's it is
3: interesting.
2: Too, Jerry. No, no, I mean, it's not about me. Right, right. I get you there.
3: Well, now now people have to tune in next week to hear the story of Jerry and a shoe. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, but if, you want, if people want to hear it, I will tell it on the next, on Cruising with Steak on Tuesday night.
3: Yeah, respond via Twitter and tell us if you want to hear it. I'll tell it on on
2: my Tuesday night podcast.
3: Okay, there we go. (laughs) You got a little teaser now.
1: So he died while you were at the EBC?
3: No, he had died just before then.
1: Okay. And I have a couple questions on this. So the light that was shining down that he said had billions, like billions of beings, right? Mm hmm. Was that. Was he seeing it from the ceiling,
3: well, he was in a hospital bed, so yeah,
1: okay, because my my mother also it was a constant thing with her at the very end, where she kept talking at this ring on the ceiling, and it was millions of beans, oh it really, was all light, yeah. And uh I find that significant. I haven't heard another person really say that. The fact that the light was millions of beings, and she called it she kept saying it was a circle.
3: So he didn't mention the circle, but he definitely indicated that it came down from above and he, that it was a bright light. And then when he looked at it closer, he saw like all these times, he called them angels. Um but he also referred to them as like little Beings and I had never heard him say anything like that in my life mm-hmm. and I don't in fact when he told me that it didn't even occur to me until a couple of weeks later what he had said to me I mean I remembered what he said but you know all of the the series of events took place mm-hmm. including him dying that you know, it, all these other things are, are, you know, and then I found out I was pregnant and then I had to go to the thinking conference and it was, the conference was awesome, but you know, yeah. yes. not, not really in the jovial, let's go out and have um, esoteric drinks move. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I, so uh, that, but that is, yeah, that's, um, it's interesting that you said that your mom said that, um, I, you know, he wasn't a person that talked about that kind of stuff a lot. And I don't know if he, and in fact, at one point I asked my sister, but she didn't remember him saying anything like that to her. So I would have to ask her again. I don't, I don't know that he ever said anything quite like that to to her. Um, but he was he that
1: kind of, so he wasn't that kind of person though, in general, this was unusual.
3: I, I mean, he was raised Catholic. So I think he believed in, um, you know, he believed in things. He believed yeah, in the angelic angels order. and yeah. yeah. And he believed in, in God and, um, light and, uh, you know, things like that. So I wouldn't say he wasn't a spiritual person, but he certainly wasn't a, um, you know, it never came up in conversation. Yeah. His beliefs yeah. never came up in conversation. Yeah.
1: So he wasn't, he wasn't a preacher in life. Yeah.
3: No, not at all.
1: That I find it very significant. With my mama, oh. yeah, it was. that She was like your mom. I mean, you're describing it to be almost right? so. So she was a spiritual and witchy. So she she just said there were millions of beings. It was coming down, and she said she wasn't ready. And that's
3: like the same story that's crazy and this is 20 years ago
1: so there's a there's a these are the threads varla i've been looking like you know you look for right when you're investigating things it's a it's very interesting very Uh, so in when you encounter him have you encountered him in dreams after this after the warning type communication one time and what was, how did that one run?
3: That was a bit more casual. <laughs> <laughs> well, It was just a bit more like, oh, hey, I haven't seen you in so long. Like, how you know, it wasn't like a how you're doing, but it was just um, that was more of a peaceful kind of the way that I felt when I saw my grandparents most of the time. That was more of just like, oh, I get to see you. This is so awesome. Yeah. And it was actually when I, I think it was probably like after I had moved to Minnesota, so it was probably three years ago. And I had had that dream, another dream where he, he was in it and it was more of, you know, a comforting dream. And that time, and this doesn't happen to me very often, but that time I woke up and I I cried because I was so relieved to see him mm-hmm. and so happy to have been able to just be around him. You know, you, you people in your life, you take them for granted, especially, you know, your, your in-laws and you know, people who are just always around you, your siblings, they're just either always around you growing up. So you kind of take them for granted. And then I feel that, you know, this was just a really, it was just really special just to be able to say, oh, you took the time out to, you know, come and hang out with me for a few minutes and let me know that things are good. Yes.
1: I, th- this for me has been the hardest part of death. I- I've been through a lot of death from early on. And it's really, it's the void they leave in your, in your waking life. So it's those, especially those that are closer in that, you know, the void's bigger. If you you spend a lot of time with them, it's more the void because I, I do have general contact with people in dreams. And so the, the missing part, like, I feel like we go on and I feel like we don't die. You can't kill energy. And so it's just that, physical void i cannot call you up i can call you up in dreams but i can't have i don't have the luxury of just saying you know like two days or yesterday i just wanted to talk to my mom you know there's a bunch of stuff going on in my life i want to talk to my mom and it's you know it's like oh man i don't have the outlet so that is the thing that is hard dealing with death as opposed to say the birth side because they're they're here on this, so in this, in this section, cannot go uh, fast. I think I want to get into a little bit of some of the dream, some of the dream stuff. Is because the time's going fast. Of the mechanics of how you encounter these same spaces and architecture within the dreamscape so you've given us this idea that you can be you you revisit these places although they shift right but it's the same place you go to this house it's different but it's also it's the same place they're familiar is this you get a sense that you have a home or is the the how You know, what's your sense with this reoccurrence of familiarity within the dreamscape? What's that about?
3: For me, the biggest familiarity is that I recognize that I'm dreaming. Yes. So, because I recognize that I'm dreaming, I begin to recognize things around me and I begin to realize that I can influence the outcome to a certain extent. I don't like to influence the outcome too much because what fun you know there's no fun in that there's no fun in knowing exactly you know what's going to happen, but there's a great deal of fun and um comfort and um confidence that comes from for me, I feel like so confident when I like, yeah, I fell off that cliff and then I conjured up this you know carpet that flew out and caught me and <laughs> set me gently down in a tree or whatever it is. You know, it's that like knowing that you're dreaming when you're dreaming and, and knowing that it's okay that you are aware that you are dreaming when you're dreaming. Yes. If you know, do you know, know what I mean? It's like, if you're, if you're conscious in the dream, but it's not like it breaks the spell. And yes. suddenly And suddenly she woke up, you know, it's not <laughs> like that. It's, It's that it's like if you fell down the rabbit hole and you knew it was a dream the whole time, what would you do differently? What would Alice have done differently if she had known the whole time that it was a dream or was it a dream? Exactly. That's a whole other topic.
1: We get Um, into that here.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. I actually had a. um, Wait, wait, wait. That was a
2: dream that whole book.
3: <laughs> I
2: never read it, so i'm I'm serious.
3: Oh, yeah, well, right. At the very end, so in what happens is in the very, very beginning of that book, her sister is reading to her, and she's bored because it's a book without any picture, and so she sort of drifts off, and as she drifts off, it is kind of daydreaming. They don't really say she's fallen asleep. She looks over and she sees this rabbit with a waistcoat and a watch and he's running off after her and she decides to chase after him because what what who wouldn't? What the heck? <laughs> and at the very end she sort of um wakes up and um and then is kind of left wondering, you know, was that a dream? Now in the second book, right. through the looking glass, yes, she sort of that's a little bit more like she knows what's going on and she goes through she steps through the mirror.
2: Right. That's that's the story I'm thinking of. I never read the first book. Alice's Adventures, isn't it, right?
1: Yeah. Adventures in Wonderland. That's how
2: Dodson masked his uh, pedophilia through well, the dream that's state. that's one
3: theory. That's one theory. I actually have several theories about that book, and it's a lot of people think that it's an allegory for sort of like a, a drug experience or that it was about trying to relive... Um, preciousness of childhood. Um but what's amazing about Alice in Wonderland is that it it actually can serve as an allegory for many, many things, Mm. including uh this last summer I just in the interest of you know honesty, I had some pretty severe health problems and I had to navigate the healthcare system. And I had to chase the white rabbit, which was my happiness and well-being and i had to chase that down a hole and around a corner and down into you know past tweedledee and tweedledum the insurance companies <laughs> yes and funny. i started thinking man is alice in wonderland an allegory for the healthcare system like wow this is crazy <laughs> so i started realizing that it's one of those brilliant works that universally apply to a lot of um a lot of scenarios it can apply to severe illness it can apply to um a transformation in your life but you can actually find these characters. you know the mad hatter well Mm. that's your physician dispensing the drugs right (laughs) this one this one this one's sure to work
2: (laughs) i've been working on this theory that they're the only plots that are available that you know whatever the people will pay attention to are arcs on the journey of the hero's journey in that circle Uh uh-huh so all plots for all stories can be found along that journey just a snippet of it, time portion
3: yeah
2: maybe that story is universal and fits in every possible slot
3: I mean, the more, now that's one of those stories. I know this is complete other tangent, but that is one of those books that I have read probably more than any other story in my life. I read it as a child. I read it as a teenager. I read it as a young adult. I read it as an old lady. I've read it over and over (laughs) again. I've read it to my son. I've read it to myself again. I've read different versions and different variations. And at every stage and every time I read it, I discover something different in it, and I certainly don't have it memorized by any means, but i'm fairly familiar with it at this point
2: scholarly and
3: I think that it's you know there are certain that that's just something I also find interesting in general is that you can read the same work of fiction at different points in your life, and it can actually have a different Significant impact. The other one yes. for me is Frankenstein. Yes. I read that as a young, young girl and barely understood, other than, you know, feeling really bad for the monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I have gotten older and studied more about the backstory to how the story was created and learned more about Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley and what she was doing and all of those kind of things, um, it's sort of changed my view of the story or what that's, you know, what's significant in that story. And that's something as a writer that I, um, you know, I just, I find is very helpful for me. And even in the writing process is to, a lot of my books have short stories in them. They're not all short stories that I've written, but they're short stories that um, I have always gravitated toward, whether in, in paranormal parlor, I have horror stories. And the fairy book, I have fairy stories. In the mermaid book, there's mermaid stories. And there are a lot of classical tales and things like that. Um, But that's totally, totally different. You're like a
2: bardess.
3: (laughs) As opposed to a bard?
2: (laughs) As opposed to a bard. (laughs) Well, I don't know if there's a female. I like
3: bardess. I like that. I I like that. I I have a question.
2: Are you aware of the uh, so-called Alice in Wonderland programming, mind-control programming, CIA programs?
3: Well, I have so I part of the reason that I had gone to that esoteric book fair is mm-hmm. that I worked as an occult book editor for a number of years mm-hmm. where I worked with some fairly prominent members of the occult community on their books. And um I tended to work more in the witchcraft end of things, but there certainly were several pretty um pretty extreme conspiracy theorists uh, books that I manuscripts that I read and things like that. So, kind of. I mean, I I'm I'm more familiar with the idea that there's mind control in general, which brings us back to that podcast that I was talking about earlier. You'd probably really like the walk because you it kind of does get into up. that. You guys I've, should. look It's really fun.
2: I, I've already online. put links into uh, the show notes and the tenacious personal thing. I, I'm Jerry's
1: talking. so on this stuff. So on it. <laughs> The same,
3: yeah.
2: No, it's. it's, it's I don't know if it's true, obviously. I'm just saying that's one of the stories out there.
3: If it was true, we would never admit it. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> so you'll there's, never know. There's
2: too much information to actually figure out what's real anymore.
3: Why bother?
2: And exactly. again, That
3: can apply to the
1: that can apply to the Alice overlay.
2: I'm just, everything on is TV big. is that not That is real to the me.
1: Alice overlay,
3: <laughs> isn't it? It is. That, is. that yes. is absolutely.
2: <laughs> it's the magic in box. Your... The screen's hypnotized you. Know, you know, believe whatever's on it.
1: How do you fly? And so, in flying in dreams, how do you experience that?
3: Like swimming, but in the air.
1: Oh, interesting. So you move your arms like that?
3: Yeah. Like to get propelled off the ground or off the roof or whatever it is. um, There's some swimming involved. So I have to sort of move my arms in a motion that kind of launches me up far enough. And then I just, it's, it is, it's exactly like swimming. It's like swimming underwater, but in the air. And then there's always a little teensy bit of, um, doubt that i have to quell when i take that first leap mm-hmm. um so there's always just that little bit of like remember you can fly this is a dream and you can fly and then i can do it but there's if i doubt it too much i hit the ground
1: yeah i find <laughs> that so interesting within the round, the dreamscape is that it is completely willpower and the power of doubt which could be applied to here too uh, completely puts a ring uh, a wrench in your tire so to speak yeah
3: yeah it's like uh, so how can I ask you how you fly in dreams I'm assuming you fly <laughs> I do
1: I, the first time I did it I I've, i I felt like a bubble
3: but the very first
1: time it oh. happened I had like uh the Those those tubes that you play with in the water, you know, you can get in the middle of them, but not like an it's an inner tube, but for kids. I was young, yeah, yeah, and that took me. I'm with a bunch of friends, and I'm in kind of like a Broomhilda little number, like pins coming from the hair, and I all of a sudden I just pop up, and I'm just cackling. It was so much fun, and from that point on, all I did was in my imagination, within the dream was to view that I had that little life just, just thing on and I can get up and float and I move in a bubble, kind of like Glinda, but not quite.
3: It's a surprise. Oh my God, that's amazing.
1: It's fun, it, I love it. it. It never gets old, it's never, uh, it's always a surprise because it's not necessarily at will for me at this point. I'd like it to be. I find if I just wanna go somewhere either pop in or there's the journey aspect. And if there's the journey aspect, it's almost always in the bubble.
3: So for me, it's the fastest way to get from point A to point B in the dream, even if I don't know what that is. Yes. So I use it as like a means of getting like up over the hill, but that, you know, I have asked people many times if they fly in dreams, and I very presumptuously just assumed everyone flew the same way. No. <laughs> I was totally they, wrong. We
1: found that out too, Varla. There's so many different
3: Although, ironically,
1: last week, our friend Grimstake, Steve, last week said it was like swimming for him too.
3: Although I think oh, he yeah. was
1: doggy paddling.
3: Oh, yeah. doggy paddling. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Like, much more graceful, <laughs> I just want to say. <laughs>
1: So, okay. So wait, back to some of these typical dream, not typical some people don't have these, but this just mechanical things. So there's the, the, the flying. And then what about things like experiencing deep water, dark water? Do you find any of that imagery?
3: No, no, I don't know if I've, i have I have gone swimming. um it's usually in clear and beautiful sparkling um, river water where, oh, where nice. I grew up. I grew up swimming in a in a river like that. Um, so that's where I swim. if I'm gonna swim anywhere in a dream, that's where I'm gonna swim. but that's more of a like you know recreational fun as you might do on a hot day type swimming it's not usually um not a lot of water you know like water as a conduit or water trying to get me you know down to a certain point or having to dive down and get things all all, very very rarely
1: so no no water creatures either
3: no water creatures, not a lot of supernatural creatures. I, I hate to admit, but not oh. a lot of supernatural creatures in my dreams. It's mostly you know humans or yeah you know, the the ghosts of humans um, yes, and me and animals you know, um, but normal animals like cats and stuff, and they don't even talk. Now really? you're making my dreams seem boring. <laughs>
1: no, but they're, they're so not, though. They're so not. Yeah, well, you, you answered that. So the animals were my next thing, just on the dream mechanics. And then also things like uh, space. Is there a concept of space in your dream landscape?
3: Um. There's a concept of space just like the stars are there. And I have gone up and, you know, gone swimming through the stars while I've been flying, oh. but not completely into like an outer, outer galaxy. You can usually see the land below, not real, real far out there. And I'm never completely surrounded by blackness and um stars ever. There's always a human element. It's mm-hmm. always something kind of tethering me.
1: And then also what about uh the sleep paralysis stuff around getting in and out of your body, in particular, sleep paralysis.
3: I have a lot of sleep paralysis, actually.
1: And what does that generally like? it's Just a general
3: experience. <clears throat> it's me screaming at myself to wake up with it within the dream because I can't get out of the dream. It's yes. it's never the dream itself. It's that. I'm trying to wake up and I can, you know, feel that I'm, you know, like we're just being trapped inside my own body. Yes. Yeah,
1: me too. You'd be surprised at how many different explanations we get around sleep paralysis though. And for me, it's a terrifying experience I'm screaming, trying to move my flesh. It's like I can't get fully in my body somehow.
3: Right, but yet you're not totally dreaming anymore, so you're not in that dream. You're just like, okay, get up, move, 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 and you won't move. And um, it's never like I'm in a dream and I'm like something terrible is happening and I need to wake up and I can't. It's not ever that. It's like the time... My mom told me it's when I'm it's it's that I'm coming back into my body that she thinks that I'm astrally projecting, mm-hmm. especially not necessarily every night, but most of the time that I'm astrally projecting. I'm leaving my body, and there's something's not like you know I became conscious before my consciousness got back into my body, or like that's kind of how she described it to me because this has happened to me since I was. A teenager yeah I had a lot of sleep paralysis and um that was sort of her way of explaining it to me in, you know layman's terms I guess just like you know you're not back in time you got caught yes you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar yes
1: uh, you know what though that's how I've come to to deal with it as well it, it's not like
3: it, it's I so frustrating, breathe. isn't it? And, oh, it's uh, a little
1: scary though, Varla, sometimes like
3: I feel like, oh shit, am I dead? <laughs> you know, like Am I I definitely have had that fear a couple of times of like, I actually am not gonna wake up. Right. You can't move.
1: You can't you but and then inevitably I'll find I'll wake up yelling. Like sometimes I just push through. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. <Just> like <laughs> oh,
0: oh, oh, punching the <laughs> air. <laughs> yeah.
1: Now, you know, that's a, it's, that's not common, but it has happened where it's just all of a sudden that's what's happening. So wait,
3: but I want to, I don't, I don't want to change the topic yet because I want to know, like, if you have any tips or tricks to get out of it, because I find what works for me is to remind myself to be like, I actually have to have a conversation with myself about staying calm and recognizing if I wait it out, I will wake up. And that's extremely hard to do when you're in that panic mode, you know, Jerry. You mentioned earlier, like the panic attack, like that feeling, that sort of claustrophobic feeling that comes over you. It's that snippet of time there, and it's, it, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's probably less than five seconds of your life, right? Yeah, but, yeah. Man, those <laughs> are the longest five seconds.
2: Lots of know? nervous parts can can ex- escape <laughs> in five seconds. Especially
3: when you're trapped in a shoe. I was in a, yeah. I was in a boardroom. <laughs>
2: I was actually in a boardroom at eBay.
3: Oh, well.
2: There's a longer story behind this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Jerry, you just dropped that. I love that. It's true. My nose is so stopped up. I know I sound crazy. So, all right, before before we get to questions and stuff, I want to just go on and on. I want to get your ideas. We can always just go on and on. So what are your ideas on, where's the line between waking and all these other states of consciousness? And as we know, dreams are as tangible as memories, which we seem to think are re- is real, but you know, for some, like our memories and right. our life seem to have- Right. Collectively,
3: waking. we dismiss dreams as being imaginary, but we accept memories as being real, right? Like collectively as a society, we've decided that, um, what's real. I don't have, I have pretty blurry lines. I gotta, (laughs) I gotta (laughs) be honest. (laughs) My lines are pretty blurry. I mean, I don't really know. I don't know. I mean, obviously I know that when I'm asleep, I'm having these, you know, specific type of experiences and dreams but at the same time and especially I think ob- observing my son and I see his daydreaminess quality and I remember that quality in myself um, it's that this is something actually that I have contemplated a lot because there's something very dreamlike and amazing that happens when you are lost in a story. Mm. And if you are lost in a fairy tale, and you are hearing this tale of, you know, this tiny little creature that lived underneath a rock and would come out, you know, three times a day and set out a little prize or whatever this little story is that's unfolding. During that time that you're listening to it, you're not sitting there going, there's no way a little thing could come out from under a rock. <laughs> you're listening to the story and you're accepting it. And your imagination is kind of conjuring the pictures and you're lost in that story. And that right there is the kingdom of fairy. Mm. That is the power of the fairy tale and the power of the suspension of disbelief Yes, that is, Anyone who is interested in, you know, the magical arts or the you know, fairy tales or magical creatures or any of these things, we all have that. And, you know, some of the stuff just sounds really pretend or the paranormal or dreams. I mean, all of those things, you know, there, there's this commonality when you actually are able to suspend your doubt long enough. And I think that that moment can happen frequently, and that is the same moment that is happening uh, in your dreams. And it can be extremely cathartic and extremely um, inspiring. This is why if you want to write something, you should read a lot, because you will begin to understand the significance, not that you want to mimic a writer that you um, admire, but that which I know a lot of writers say they're afraid of, but that you are able to recognize the power of the story and therefore your own ability to create that mm. and um, how significant that is, that you're not just telling a little fairy tale, that you, your, you know, your words are important and the images you create are important. And even if only one person reads them, that it might change, you know, you know, my mom used to just make stories up, she doesn't even remember half of them, but those little things that she would tell us, you know, then we'd all have to conspire and say, no mom, that's not what happened next, because <laughs> she would tell it to generation after generation, and we've encouraged her to, to write those things down, then she'll forget that she even like created this incredible story, and I, um, I think that it's something that has come up for me, especially in the last few years, as I worked on this fairy puka changeling book, where I read a lot of fairy and folklore—like a lot, like way more than I um, had ever read in my life—and I grew up reading it, and all different manner, you know, things that were said to be nonfiction, things that were fiction, and I just really came to the understanding over and over again, and it happened a lot with the mermaid book. People would say to me, okay, but come on, mermaids aren't real, right? Like, those are the ones that aren't real. Like, we'll <laughs> accept Bigfoot, but we're not gonna accept mermaids. Like, please, <laughs> please, mermaids are way more plausible, right? <laughs> right? I don't know, they're probably equally plausible. But I think what we dismiss and what we forget about with myth and, um, uh, what we call myth, we, we sort of associate that with like a lie or a mistruth, but that is not necessarily what a myth is. A myth is a retelling of something, a myth is a story that teaches you something. And when you have that, it, it, there, there's just so much cultural significance in telling those stories and being lost in those stories. And I really do think that it psychologically does positive things to us and it allows us to then think, okay if that was possible in that story, then this is possible in my life and it actually allows us to make positive changes in our lives. And I, I, I really, obviously, very passionately believe that because I just um, went off on it.
0: For...
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, tell us more. We're
3: watching the clock now. <laughs> no,
2: no, there's no time limit at all. I, I do have a question or a series of questions. Um, so you were talking about your mermaid book and your other books and um have you experienced a lot of uh any abnormal things synchronicities etc during the the writing of the books in reference to the material
3: yes i have in fact i had hobgoblins steal an entire chapter from me
2: really was it their chapter Yes. (laughs)
3: The little bricks. That's what they do. uh, No, I was working on the fairy manuscript. It was very late at night and I was, you know, two days past my deadline. Mm -hmm. So I was really sweating bullets to try and make sure that everything was the way that I wanted it. And I, um, I lost, I had, I had, the manuscript was ready. But I started tweaking with it because I had stumbled upon this whole rabbit warren of hobgoblins and goblins and dwarves. And I thought, I didn't put enough dwarves in here. I, and then I that, le- that led me to Tommyknockers. And that led me to um, Leprechaun. And so I was just kind of, you know, trying to just make sure I got everything in there. And I sort of had this beautiful thing written about hobgoblins and, you know, the sort of Hobgoblins being these sort of house brownie, the significant, I think they're brownies in, in Wales, and they're hobgoblins in um, parts of England, and they're uh, Adobe? in Ireland, There's and no. Adobe in Scotland. Yes, yes. And they're yes. called yeah. different things, but they're these sort of domestic fairy elf-like mm-hmm. creatures. And they can be very helpful, and they can also be very tricky. So if you don't properly acknowledge them, feed them, Give them the things that they need, like wine and cake, which everybody, everybody, <laughs> everybody needs. <laughs> Cheers.
2: They'll use their magic against you instead of <laughs> um,
3: they Yeah. So in, in, in any case, I had sort of, you know, put this section about how God, and I was so proud of myself because I felt, oh, I, I got this in. I got it exactly the way I wanted it. And tomorrow I will send this in. And so tomorrow came and I looked through the manuscripts and I was pretty proud of, you know, what I had done and that I felt like I'd put in the things that I wanted. And then I got to that chapter and I couldn't find the chapter that I had, you know, written in the wee hours of the morning. So I'm, you know, uh, you know, I'm not a novice when it comes to Microsoft Word. I've been using it probably since it was first invented. And it's my main, as a writer, I'm in it every day. I know I watch the tutorials. I know all the tricks. So I try everything. I even go to the Google and I ask the Google what to do if you can't find this section. Because I'm thinking, I must have just like copied and pasted right over it or something and moved it around. I mean, obviously, right? Long story short, I, I, you know, at a certain point now it's two o'clock on the day that I'm, you know, two Mm -hmm. days late and I swore I would have it in by five o'clock Eastern time. (laughs) And I'm just like, oh man, this, I could I just have to rewrite it. And so there is a section on Hobgoblins in there, but it is not exactly the section that um, it was to begin with. And I knew when I couldn't find it, I just thought, all right, well, that's, you know, well, they're showing me. (laughs)
2: Oh. <laughs> but no it's a good story do you know yeah. uh josh kutchen joshua kutchen he wrote no um, what was his book the brimstone deceit was the one about smells and fairy smells but his latest one was about fairy abductions i think it's called thieves in the night
3: Ooh, that sounds yeah. good yes. yeah
2: he's really interesting and he compares a lot of that to what people uh ufo abductees. alien right?
3: abductions yeah. i have had that thought myself yeah when reading the descriptions of some of these like gobliny things and their big old eyes and the and just the whole idea, like like I said at the very beginning, I told you my mother warned me never to fall asleep on the fairy mound.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes,
3: because what happens? You wake up, you've lost all sense of time, you've probably lost your clothing. yes, you have no idea what's gone on, and you just have these vague memories of something happening. Now, people when they recall the fairy kingdom, they do recall. Quite a bit of you know food and drink and revelry that leads to the wasting away. His first but,
2: book was you know. called A Trojan Feast about the oh fairy, really oh, I've never fairies. heard of that. I had yeah. him
3: on here.
1: He down. was it was a great show, and
2: he had a really interesting synchronicity with his book writing and fairy queen. Oh yeah, I, I, I oh, think he was did, but Yeah.
3: Don't fuck with the fairies, I guess. No, no, no. It's interesting why you guys are <laughs> the talking. Moral about, of the story <laughs> about the goblins.
1: I always have a candle going before I start the show, and and you know, of course, I'm a witch, and I have I get all ready. And when you're good the candle steady this whole time, you start talking about the goblins, and it just
3: went crazy. It just went oh crazy. really? You know, yeah, I always burnt down candles. halfway through. Oh, that's funny. My candle is. Is okay right now, but I I never do an interview without candles. Even I mean I know no one can see me, but I I can feel me, and I need yes. the candles.
1: <laughs> it's, it's very what's well, the element there? You know, so yeah. i playing in that the being of fire. But it's this candle went halfway down. It's all waxy and crazy. It's the first time doing these shows, and what subject? The goblins, the house oh, goblins. House goblins, yeah. I'm going to make sure mine gets chocolate and beer later.
3: The (laughs) other, yeah, ooh, chocolate and beer, that works, too. The other um, kind of correlation with that, since we're mentioning it, is the, um, like, poltergeist. Yes. And people saying that they wake up with scratches and um, they've been pinched and they have bruises in their body and things like that. And um, there are a number of uh, imps that like to pinch children in the night and horrible things like that. So um, there this were- is why.
2: <laughs> but yeah, but also I think that a lot of that, that some instances can be manifestations of of, thought, of energy and thoughts. By, agree,
3: one hundred percent agree. Yeah, um, by people who um, for a variety of reasons, correct. A variety, maybe it's a a, A hormonal thing,
2: you know.
3: Lots of reasons, and there and there's been a lot of talk about you know why poltergeists in particular are attracted to like teenagers. Seems to be more the highest number of reports are teenagers. But I do think that um when I was reading, and I'm not talking about like you know these. I'm not even talking about the Grimm's fairy tales or these kind. I'm I'm talking about like weird old things that are written in english but sound like they're written in welsh and things that where you really have to like read between the lines and dig through stuff and that's where i really started seeing a lot of those connections with things that might be associated with a haunting or an alien abduction mm-hmm. it was in the real good old stuff that's you know hidden and, and that stuff isn't even 100 percent authentic because it's written right it's it's a written and, oral tradition, and the
2: shit so. on TV is all staged. So,
3: yeah. Well, have you ever been able to? I mean, the, the idea that you can walk into a haunted place and command an an uh, entity to you know answer you, or you're gonna punch it. Like, oh. <laughs>
2: we <laughs> talked to our, our guest a few weeks ago. Is a ghost hunter in that ilk, and um, but she's for real and uh we were talking about that and how she she also thinks that it could be um the people in the room who want that to happen are psychically projecting that onto the recorder onto those evp recorders
3: are you talking about MJ? yeah that's interesting Mm -hmm. yeah you know absolutely well i have um my experience with the ouija board in particular i think totally supports that but that you can kind of manifest those um, strange and unusual things to happen if you are um, if you have the wrong kind of energy and you're kind of projecting that stuff, I do think that that can happen.
2: I don't but know if it has to be I, wrong I, kind of energy if you can project your energy well, in yeah,
3: maybe of- it's maybe wrong, not maybe wrong is the as a i don't know I mean I think it's kind of rude
2: they might, I don't still. think they know they're doing it.
3: Well, they don't know that they're doing the projection of the energy, but they're doing the rude behavior that's leading to that energy.
2: Oh, yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> they are ghost abusers.
3: The ghost abusers. I, mean, and that, I know a lot of totally legit, awesome ghost hunters, and they are the ones that will tell you, God, it would be great if everything was like it was on TV, but that's the edited version. You know, there's 22 hours of footage of us and creaking floorboards.
2: I haven't locked Aaron in a dark room for three hours. Sorry, did I say that out loud?
1: Jerry's Tourette.
2: Hey, it's been good lately.
1: <laughs> Actually, it has been. So do you, in the end, in the end and all that, What, what makes this seem more significant, this waking life, this nowness? as opposed to anything else, all these other states of consciousness that we have access to and clearly inhabit. But for some reason, there's a gravity here that seems more sensate in the nowness.
3: Well, it's longer, for one thing. I mean, the consciousness, you know, your conscious waking hours are longer minute wise than your dream state unless you are like in a dream coma or something. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's part of it. And when you are dreaming, do you dream of waking life? No, you're in the dreamscape. You're like, yeah, I can fly. And like, let's go see so-and-so. Or when you're awake, you are always trying to get back to that dreamscape. I mean, if you're a dreamer, yes. And I know I, I'm not the only one. <laughs> you are <a, laughs> <a> good one. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, but I, I, so I don't know. I mean, it, it's probably that in the conscious world, we actually can can choose or are able to access these other worlds and to contemplate them and to think about them. And so that becomes the overarching, you know, dominant us, right? Like this is daytime me. This is, well, or nighttime me, but this is, you know, this is the main me. And then there's dream me. That doesn't mean we like main me more than we like dream me or that, you know, we want to be in dream state all the time. I also think that, you know, dream state is sort of nonsensical for a reason so that you can see the things that. Are meant to make sense. If everything mm-hmm. was real normal in your dream, then you know that would be okay. Well, there's your message. But if your dream state is like, oh yeah, you know, I'm just walking through this field, and then this apple falls on my head, and then I open a door, and then suddenly there's a castle and a moat. You know, then the thing that seems the most normal in that is going to be your takeaway. Um, right. I think we are we we will never understand it. And because we'll never understand it, we're going to spend our waking lives trying to understand it. And well, then, so okay,
1: so let me go here real fast. Say, so the things that on this exact path we are, the things in the dreamscape that it's so fantastical, and a lot of times those things that are fantastical actually are my cues for lucidity. Oh, here I am. I am. I'm dreaming, and then I get on with what's going on what about now varla if we look at the world around us that's around us right now and how crazy things are like just even just the weather and not even the craziness of the political scene or all the other stuff that seems
3: By like whatever do you mean <laughs>
1: <I know. laughs> so, exactly alice so our, the queen that's the queen um what do you think uh, is all of the craziness going on in our current waking life really has, than ever, the nature of reality. Things are so, so right. So- like,
3: can this possibly exactly. be real? Is this really happening?
1: Yes, exactly.
3: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel the same. I feel that there's, um, there's a certain element of are we in a Simpsons episode? Is that actually what's (laughs) happening right now? Because it really feels like this is a Simpsons episode. (laughs) Not this show, but you know, the, you know. The whole thing. United States in uh, 2019, whatever year we're in. And I, I guess, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely, it's hard to, it's hard to know because it, it seems so unreal. But I think that that's also, It's like the solution is also the problem because the, the, the inability to accept that, you know, these things have consequences and a reality are feeding this environment that is becoming surreal. You know, things are, yes, I've, I've lived in Minnesota. Now this is my, I count it by the winters. This is my fourth winter (laughs) and, um, you know, they've all been different. Very different. Um, You know, they've all been cold by California standards. Yes. But they've been different and they've been warmer and the summers have been hotter. And there's been, there's, there's a like, it's like we're right in the middle of some extreme climate change. It's not, oh, it's coming. And it's not, oh, you know, we're in the flood zone it's like, here we are, we're right in the middle of it. That is what's happening. You know, we are in the middle of major, major shift. And um, I don't know. I mean, with that shift comes, I, I'm an optimist. So I believe that with that shift comes a, um, an awakening. And I think that that's certainly true. And I, know, I, I don't, I'm not talking about Politically specifically, but that's an excellent example that there are many people that um, were complacent for many years and now see that they must fight because it's the only way out. Um, or there are people that are, you know, from whatever whatever your point of view is, um, I just think there's apathy and and apathy doesn't get you solutions. And so unfortunately, you have to, you know, as humans, we have to undergo, like, it has to be in our face, like literally in our face for us to do anything about it. And so this is a bit more of an esoteric in our face because it's global and it's environmental and it's, um, you know, a little bit more, it's far reaching. And I think it's more um,
2: representative to what's going on
3: yes it's like what well, we talked earlier about you know um we we're kind of talking about psychic abilities and closing yourself off to some of these distractions and how we have everything we have this surreal world that we operate in like we are all technically like we can see each other other people out there can hear our voices we're having these conversations We're not, like, we can't touch each other. We're not actually real. We're not actually real to each other. And I, I think about this a lot because, so in the Paranormal Parlor book that I wrote, I talk a lot about this kind of period of time of spirit, the rise of spiritualism in the United States and how that became, basically, it was the idea that you could commune with the dead and that the dead had messages for us it wasn't just that you could get, you could talk to the dead. It was like you started using spirit boards and the everyday person through a psychic medium could get these important messages. And we still see, you know, practices like, you know, regular Tarot readings and things like that. Now, Tarot has a much longer history, but the rise in popularity in the United States especially happened like post-Civil War to about 1920. And I think about how, you know, you've got People who they've lost somebody that they love, so they're in this dire circumstance, and they're wanting to know if they're okay. And so, they, okay, now you've got this—you're you know, your dead husband or your the dead soldier—and at the same time, as spiritualism is on the rise, and there are people putting their hands and moving a planchet around and saying that this is the ghost of you know Johnny. You've got the telephone. A disembodied voice appearing in <laughs> your, you know, you you you're, you're going like steamership to telegram, Morse code to a phone call where you know this voice is suddenly appearing. And it's that kind of overlap of um, where technology comes into play and how that affects people's spirituality. And we're almost like a complete opposite of that now, where we have so much technology. That we are now accepting things that aren't real as real because we saw it on the internet. Like right? China <laughs>
2: landing on the dark side of the moon.
1: <laughs> the fake news. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: I concur. Well, it's I, it's I,
1: putting us that way, right, Jerry, where we have to question everything now.
2: Yeah, right. Because we can't okay. tell if stuff is CGI or not anymore, especially for something we've never seen with our real eyes with our own eyes like space. Um. Right.
3: And so the the optimist in me is saying that it is a wake up call and it's an awakening. And I think it it is a it's a it's a rallying cry for people to um, you know, do things that are more um I don't know. It's like just to reconnect or it's a rallying cry to do the right thing and to, you know, combat the hatred with compassion and love and to you know just change your your thinking and change your lifestyle um for the better and and be more conscious and it's something that you know of course there have been people who have been saying this for years and years and years it's like we're stop using plastic bags we're gonna run out of oil like all these kinds of things but Now that we're more on the precipice, it's not even so much of like an ecological issue. It's a, you know, a whole other kind of, uh, a whole other uh, level of it. So, thankfully, we have, you know, the dream sanctuary to go to where these things are not weighing heavily upon us. Hopefully, everybody dreams differently. Oh,
2: I don't worry about it.
3: But when I dream, (laughs) I, I am, you know, really, really happy to be dreaming <laughs> yes as am I.
1: every time I realize within the dream that when that that moment always that moment when it's like I'm dreaming that lucid moment I it there's just this amazing energetic uh almost like supernova that happens internally for me it's like this is my it's a cue to know that there's so much more
3: Yes, absolutely. And that, it, well, exactly. And I, I think it, it can be, you know, as crazy as things might seem. in for perspective, let's go back to the invention of the telephone. How crazy was that for people? Like that was a totally, the industrial revolution was a totally crazy time. We have hindsight to go back and say, Oh, you know, this was the dawn of blah, blah, blah. This is how, um, you know, we started producing, you know, mask clothing and things like that. And uh, there were a lot of positives. Hey, the children don't have to work in the sweatshop anymore. This is great. You know, the kids don't have to get covered in soot and have their fingers bleeding. We can have a machine do it and the women can do all the work.
1: <laughs> but, you know. But there was also that fear, Varla, that it was going to take those you know, that what what are, you know, that's the industrial revolution when all this is coming in and it's going to save us from some of the dredge work, yet right. it was also, there's an unstable aspect because the dredge work we were doing also, and it was part of how, you know, certain levels of society got by by doing
3: that you know yeah they
2: needed those jobs. that was the right that was the foot right. in the door for indoctrination
3: yeah yeah and i think but i guess my point is that people you know who are feeling like wow this is just an insane time not invalidating those feelings but you know that is an, uh, an experience that we as humanity have experienced over and over again as we've gone through major change yes um,
2: don't you feel though we've been in quite a lull for a while
3: what that we've just been like hanging out and it's all good
2: the future never came we're not <laughs> we don't have it what seriously we haven't had any new tech since since, since the since the iphone came out You want to be honest we've had and higher... isn't
3: there like a secret hovercraft or the, the i mean there's a self-driving car which crashes <laughs>
2: so uh, So it's just like
3: it's just like a person might as well drive it it's it's like a drunk person
2: driving (laughs) Yeah, can only be used in louisiana
3: it's all secret technology no i mean maybe we're at a you know maybe we've just peaked because i personally have noticed more of a trend um especially in some of the younger you know my younger nieces and nephews where they're they're actually less obsessed with technology yeah. and being online and being connected and posting images all the time on Instagram and sh- cur- showing this curated life that doesn't exist.
2: Yeah. It was it's, um, the kids you know, that came after my kids are the ones. Yeah. Like that.
3: It's the middle. It's, it's, it's we middles, you know, but like we're the ones who weren't born into it. We're the ones who are so obsessed with it because <laughs> it's I'm, still new to us. Well, like, I'm older
2: than you. I'm not obsessed with it.
1: <laughs> oh Yeah. I and I push but a you way. rely on it I think I'm older than we you. need it we I rely we all rely on Come it to, to some extent yeah. look at us here
3: no right? that's what I mean we rely yeah. on it for certain you know I've, I think I had said to you it was, um, before the interview started that as an introvert author I must at least maintain one social media profile or I will never sell a damn book because <laughs> yeah. if I won't go on Twitter and I won't go on the Instagram. And I, you know, if I was you, like, God, you're not I can Instagram, pay, You I can can't... barely maintain my website. So it's terrible.
2: <laughs> and if you're not on Instagram, you can't get into Congress these days. So,
3: oh, man. I thought that was
1: Twitter.
2: No, now it's Instagram.
1: It's yes. always it's this shifting tide.
2: But Instagram is a Facebook thing, isn't it?
1: Instagram
3: is owned by Facebook, yes.
1: Is it really? I didn't know that. No. I, I, was,
0: I, was, I,
2: I
3: just... didn't know that until recently, and I was like, oh, womp womp. Okay. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm, I might mm-hmm. leave now.
2: All right, <laughs> it's late.
3: Yes, did you get
1: any questions from the, the I chat did, but I think all? she
2: answered them.
1: Okay, cool. It, it, intuitively, psychically? I, yeah, I, that's I, usually how it happens, actually.
2: Pre- yeah, pretty much all right so well,
1: been, yeah then it's a, just a matter of telling us what you've got what's yeah happened.
2: what's it's your plug time
3: i got nothing <laughs>
2: got, got pumpkin <laughs> i got pumpkins.
0: i
3: said it all <laughs> yeah. i remember
2: i remember a question did you oh, okay. grow up near or around eden prairie minnesota
1: no. no we got that earlier remember the bay area i, no. I grew up are, in the are bay
2: you area living now now are you living now
3: I live. I mean, I live in. I live near Saint Paul, so Eden Prairie is, I think, a little bit south of Minneapolis. It's I, south. I don't. Yeah.
2: Someone asked. Yeah.
3: yeah. Why are they stalking me? It's I just, know. See, it's this is the c- thing. You don't, girl. Don't give away. <laughs> your I'm not going to give you my address. I, I told
2: them I. <laughs> I don't want your address. It's 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 a cult fan. It's cool.
3: Yeah, totally. Now um, I know where it is. That
2: helps. I don't know. He said it was some kind of weird synchro.
3: I worked in Shacklepie. Shacklepie. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, ask so, you I mean,
2: about the Lions Tap.
3: I I don't know what. Who a, said that? A cult fan. Oh, I don't. I don't know what that means. You
2: want? That's a I want her to eat at the Lions Tap. You need to eat at yeah. the oh, Lions Tap. Oh,
3: it's a recommendation. It's oh, thank yeah. you. Oh, that's delightful. Oh, yeah.
2: Down okay. in Faribault.
3: Yeah, okay. So, uh, Look yeah, at it, uh, I'm I'm writing that down actually because I'm still fairly new to the area, so Yeah, this in Fribo
2: Yeah, Darcy. Darcy wants to know if if your real name is Varla Ventura. Yep. It is now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so what what's coming? What where can people find you and what do you have in the work and all that? You mentioned this latest book out oh yes
3: so i my website is varlaventura.net just my name, net and i have um it's been out for about i don't what month is it it's been out for about six months now i have varla ventura's paranormal parlor ghost Love seances that. and tales of true hauntings and that is uh, my most recent book i really I really like this book I not that I don't like my other books but I you know they're my other books they're just they're like they were fine but this book I really is a book that I actually wanted to write years and years ago this is the book that I would have written you know out the gate if I had all the knowledge and the um, publishing contacts that I now have so it's something that I'm super I'm just proud of because it includes a lot more personal stories. It has stories from some of my um, favorite people in the paranormal community. Um, It talks a lot about women in the paranormal, which could probably be a book in and of itself. And Mm -hmm. um, so I'm quite proud of it. And it turned out really beautifully. And that's my most recent book. And then I have um, right prior to that, I did Fairies, Hookahs, and Changelings. A Complete Guide to the Wild and Wicked Enchanted Realm. And uh, then I have several other books. I have two um, books called, the I have the Book of the Bazaar and Beyond Bazaar. And I have Banshees, Werewolves and Vampires and Among the Mermaids. So those are kind of my main books that I um, have written in the last few years slash actually get royalties on. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> All the cool stuff too. Those are Your the ones really- that, uh, <laughs> yeah, those are the ones those those last two especially um yeah so that's i have a couple i mean my my kind of my downtime right now i do a lot of stuff around the you know the in the fall um i have a couple of other interviews coming up i post those on my website just radio interviews and um known known appearances and i don't have um really another book to plug yet um it's in the works so we'll see what, what 2019
2: hold i I put links to all those places you mentioned in the show notes and also in the description of this video so if anyone wants to track it down sure no no problem before i forget you were talking about how technology versus spirituality and all that you were how other people aren't real and they don't matter and whatnot um I said, um... Well,
3: that's an interesting <laughs> summary. Well, but, <laughs> no, well, best, yeah.
2: well, that's what you said. I mean, that's what you were talking about. Remember? It was about 10 minutes ago. I yeah, I remember. It okay, yes, it's so, just the
1: way in which you recap that, Jerry. I'm jury. sorry.
2: Was funny. It was the <laughs> yeah. same.
1: It sounds cold. <laughs> it is not the way it came off. No, before.
2: I'm not Other empathetic people. for people yeah, I don't know in no. the video. I'm not for you. Oh, my God, I got myself whole. All right, what Come I'm saying... To- the link I put in chat and also into the live chat and also in the show notes is a clip I pulled out of a TV show called Legion that was on last year.
1: Okay. Genius. It's so
2: genius. Really interesting show. And they have these little educational segments. And one, the one from the last episode was called Other People Don't Matter. And it basically illustrates exactly what you're talking about.
1: Oh, it's okay. genius, Farla. It's so good. It's actually from like, a, It was it DC? It was a
2: DC it's comic like- book. Yeah. Oh, no, Marvel, it's okay. Marvel Marvel,
1: Marvel, and it? the, the series
3: is absolutely brilliant. Really, it's
2: like really good. Ca- uh, Professor X's kid, I think, is the father.
3: Okay, cool. This is the link that you sent me that says, Please save this link, Marla. Yeah, yeah, watch I copied that. I into a note so that I would not lose it.
2: There's five or six other ones on my YouTube channel. Okay, that one, for whatever reason, YouTube would not let me put that up on my channel, it let me put the other ones
3: oh okay well that makes me want to watch it even more if YouTube doesn't allow it it was the the last one the the
2: other other six don't really lead up to it but there's a crescendo Okay. alrighty so thank you so much for joining us it's been a a great chat and it's so awesome
3: so fun thank you both for having (laughs) me for all the thoughtful questions and um really an interesting for from the um interviewee's point of view really interesting definitely a lot of um food for thought for me there's a couple things that i'm still i'm still not sure about
2: well we (laughs) got more i wonder
3: (laughs) what i'm gonna dream tonight
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah if it's interesting please let us know i'll put it in the notes too <laughs> so, thank you, Varlet. Thank you, Nish. Thank you, people who are listening uh, live and who are in chat, everyone out there. And we'll see you next week. Oh, our guest next week is, um, help me out, Devin Maggi.
1: Oh, yes. That's going to be interesting. YouTube experience.
2: channel is Flat Earth Paradise. Went around as Hermes for a while. Cool dude. Be an awesome, chat. All right, everyone. Take care. We'll see you next All week.
0: Right. All right.